58 times. And uh, I can't remember, Mark, if I showed off to you, I've got a, a bank of green lights behind me so I can see when all the social media fees are in. So let's do this. LinkedIn is now live. Uh, Facebook is now live. Uh, Twitter is now live. YouTube is live. Mark, we're live. Mark, say hello to everyone. Good morning, all. How are you? Well, I am very, very well. <laughs> can, can I say that uh, all, all of us on, on this uh, uh, AHDB Talking Leaders broadcast with Beanstalk Global, we're all wearing shorts. Um, and this is the first time I've ever done a broadcast in, in shorts. And don't worry, you're not going to see my legs. And unless you say see, say otherwise, you're not going to see Mark. So you're not going to see uh, Bruce's uh, a little bit later. So, so Mark, you're in the height of the um, the event season. I, I know you weren't there, but you're at uh, other places. But uh, Cyril's last week, uh, the AHDB sponsored uh, the, the the two theatres, and you had a great uh, stand there. What what was the feedback from Cyril's from uh, your AHDB colleagues, please? Yeah, no, fantastic event and and and, and um, a really good uh, good uh, good theatre session with lots of lots of dialogue, lots of interactions, and um, yeah, just a really really good event. And I think to be fair, I wasn't there this year, but the weather played ball ninety percent of the time, and um, yeah, it was a, a good event by all. Yeah, but I, um, I don't know about yourself and your colleagues. There's a couple of takeaways that we picked up. Uh, lots of concerns about people. Um, there's the shortage of, of people across our industries. And it'd be interesting to get the the, uh, the, the thoughts from Bruce when, when we get to him as well. Um, uh, shortage of, of people um, and, and also just the uh, supply chain costs. It's going to be, see, it feels like it's going to be a good year financially for farmers for this year, next year. It's going to be 2023. It's going to be... Uh, uh, perhaps a more interesting year. What do you think, Mark? Yeah, no, I think those impacts, um, which there's a lot of challenges within work and within, within life that we're all, we're all aware of. But yeah, I think you're right that the real impacts of those aren't going to be seen um, until uh, later on in this year and early to next financial year. And we did a very good risk management uh, broadcast with, uh, with your esteemed colleague, uh, Isaac and he managed to garner a number of uh, cracking experts and there's some real good takeaways about how to manage in a crisis and this uh, supply chain uh, crisis that we've got within within farming so if you want to um, have a, a look at that just to get that that buy-in just google Beanstalk Global uh, AHDB uh, uh, crisis and, and the, and the yeah. broadcast will, will come up on the back of that but let's not talk about crisis Mark let's talk about positivity I, we're, we're loving these uh, talking leaders uh, series. <laughs> um, the guys in my office uh, yesterday, they, they were astounded as to our expert, our speaker that we've got, got today. Um, so tell us, Mark, who have we got today, please? So today we're really, really honoured uh, to have uh, the author, the ex-vice president of Twitter, ex-managing director of YouTube, uh, Bruce Daisley, who's going to, we're going to try and glean some of the work that he's done around eat, sleep, work, repeat, work culture, um, and try and find out how we can segue some of his findings, his insights and his knowledge into the world of agriculture. And I bet he's more handsome than you and I, which isn't going to be hard. Shall we bring no. him in? Bring him in, yeah. Bruce, come on in! Whee! Hello there. <laughs> also wearing shorts. Hey, <laughs> dialing in from North London is Bruce in shorts. Bruce, it's, it's fantastic to, to have, have you in. If it's okay, especially for those people dialing in on the podcast, I just want to give it a real um, thorough grounding as to you. So everyone has, has that grounding, that foundation, that understanding as to who you are, especially so that they can um, interact with you later, especially because we're going we're gonna to promote your book, aren't we, aren't we Bruce? We're going to promote, promote your book, Fortitude. <laughs> we're, we're excited about that because this is the first book we promoted on the, uh, on the Talking Leader yeah. series. Bruce, is that okay if I just give a, a bit of a background to you, please? Absolutely. Okay, let's go for it. We know how important it is to be inspired by both big businesses and individuals, 
which is why we're really excited to present the Talking Leaders uh, ongoing initiative uh, from the AHDB hosted on Beanstalk Global, which sees a series of inspirational speakers share their life experiences and deliver impactful stories to the ag leader community. And, and Bruce, we'll, we'll talk about that a little bit later. That, that's where I think um, the likes of uh, marketers colleagues have been so good to bring individuals like you in and get, to get us all out of our little silo within, within our sectors so that we can learn, le learn from you. So in our June broadcast, we have joining us Bruce, Bruce Daisley, writer, podcaster of the critically acclaimed Eat, Sleep, Work, Repeat. Bruce is a best-selling author and technology leader. He's become regarded as one of the most respected thought leaders on the subject of workplace culture and the future of work. He spent 12 years running Twitter in Europe and previously before that, YouTube in the UK. What doesn't he know on that side? His book on improving workplace culture, Eat, Work, Repeat, Eat, Sleep, Work, Repeat, was the Sunday Times number one bestseller in Spring 2019, the Financial Times made it Book of the Month, and it was also shortlisted for the CMI Management Book of the Year. In his business career, Bruce was awarded Greatest Individual Contribution to New Media by New Media Age. He's been rated as the top leader in the UK tech se sector by Campaign Magazine and in a prestigious survey of CEOs and MDs in 2020. Bruce was again named the fantasy hire. <laughs> Mark, that's never going to happen to you and I, is it? <laughs> Bruce was a fantasy hire that most leaders would like to make his fourth time of winning the, the accolade. Other names include Jeff Bezos, Elon Musk, and Martin Sorrell. He regularly ranks as the top rated speaker at conferences in the US and the UK. But you would have think that uh, Bruce has got a, a, a fantastic background, a well-heeled background, uh, farms, mansions in the past, but no, Bruce grew up in a council estate in Brum. He started his working career in fast food restaurants to help him pay his way to become the first member of his family to go to university. After dozens of rejections, uh, Bruce landed his first career role by taking a risk and drawing a cartoon CV of his life and mailed it to 50 employers, boom. Bruce, is that a good opening? Is that a good description of yourself, please? Well, I mean, it certainly sounds quite boastful, but um, yeah, these, everything in there is honest and accurate. Absolutely. I mean, I should probably sort of explain um, how I went from working at tech companies to what I do now, which is sort of Excellent. talking yep. about and, and thinking about workplace culture. Shall I, shall I do that or we're going to lead into No, 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 you, you go for it. You go you for go, it. We're going we're to have a lovely free-flying conversation, Bruce, so you go yeah, for it. Yeah, absolutely. Well, look, you know, I found myself... Um, uh, I, I'd sort of worked in, you know, the various different backgrounds there. I had uh, worked in uh, magazine and publishing uh, sector. So, you know, I've, I've been to pretty much every city in the UK, for example, because I used to work in, in local radio. Um, and so I found myself working in that sector. I get approached to go and work at Google. And I thought, like a lot of people, oh, wow, well, the, the culture at Google, <laughs> Google is different to the culture anywhere else. Why? Because we go online, we search it, and it says Google's the best place to work. So I thought, oh, well, look, you know, I'm already curious in the sort of the architecture of good teamwork. Um, I'd love to go and see how they do it differently. And the, the fascinating thing for me is I went in and I worked at Google. You know, I helped set up um, uh, YouTube in the UK, which is part of Google. And, but the, the truth of it was that the culture was largely not particularly different to anywhere else at work. Wow. Okay, that's really interesting. They'd, sort of, they'd positioned it so acutely that they do things differently. And, and there were some really clever parts of the, the mystique along the way. They would talk about how a job at 
Google was divided into 70% time, 20% time, and 10% time. This was part of the mythology. And just if you've never heard this 70, 20, 10, it was that your main job would be 70% of your working week. Um, your a, a project that you'd agreed with your manager would be 10% of the, uh, 20% of the week. And then you could spend 10% of your time on anything you wanted. You didn't need anyone's permission. 70, 20, 10. I thought, wow, this is remarkable. I, I can't wait to start hatching plans for what my 70, 20, 10 is going to look like. And uh, once I got inside the organization, and bear in mind, you know, this was part of the mythology. They put this in their investor document. This People would ask you this on conference stages. And uh, when I got there, I, I, I was baffled because no one was talking about 20% time. I would go out, people would say, what are you doing in your 20% time? No, and, and yet sort of it was, it was this strange thing. It was like this family secret. I eventually tracked down an engineer. I said, look, what do you spend your 20% time? And he said, 20% time. Oh, that's what we call Saturday. And, uh, oh my god and i, I realized that you know the mythology and how firms talk about their culture often is a little bit like a fable it's like something they wish that was true but it isn't true anyway i i was now at google i was realizing that what they promised wasn't necessarily what they delivered and it became a sort of fascination of curiosity for me then it became like okay well if that's the reality of working in a place like this actually what would be the secrets of creating something that did feel a bit different and you know a lot uh, over my the course of my time at twitter i became fascinated and fixated in these things started doing a podcast on them uh, started uh, sort of writing about them just thinking is there a science to creating motivated teams is there you know we've often worked maybe the farming community might be a, a touch different but a, a lot of us have worked in uh, very different environments um, so we've we've worked in environments where like sometimes there's a good team rapport and then other times you work in a place where it doesn't feel the same. And I was like, OK, what's the secret behind that? Is there some science be behind creating those things or, you know, from from your viewers and, and listeners today? Look, everyone hires in a competitive job market. And so, you know, if we're going to make the jobs that we're offering to potential candidates appealing, it's worth us understanding what the mechanics are of creating team affinity, making the job appealing. Yeah. So yeah, I became fixated and fascinated with those things really. So, so oh, there's so many elements on, on this. So we've all heard about the sort of the Google slides um, and uh, there, there was a report a couple of weeks ago about um, a business in, in, in London that downstairs in open view uh, near the reception, they've got the pinball machines, they've got the ping pong table, they've got the snooker table, they've got the free vending machine, uh, but no one uses this. And um, a new starter um, said, why, why is no one using any of this, uh, this paraphernalia, this, this play stuff? Um, and uh, he, he asked a seasoned veteran within that business. And, and that person said, if you're seen to, to use it, you're seen not to be doing, doing any work and it's brought up at your appraisal. So, so, so is, there, is there a bit of greenwashing, do you think, Bruce, going on within that, that, sort, of, um, that, that, that sort of business? And, and, to, and to caveat that, um, we're also picking up that the younger generation, when they're applying for jobs, um, they, it's not just the money that they're after, but they're after uh, the career um, element. They're after mental health awareness training, financial planning uh, training, uh, free, free gym membership. Do, do, do you think we're, we're seeing this, this, this change in, in the work-life culture? Or, or is there some, some companies just, just putting in a pinball machine to, to make it feel good? What do you think? 
you know, there's a couple of different elements there. And anything you see that sort of um, that's created for aesthetic purposes that, you know, I would sort of see as anything that's created for someone to pull their phone out of their pocket and take a photograph. So, you know, we used to have meeting rooms like the deck of the Starship Enterprise at Google. We used to have wow. meeting rooms that were shaped like um, like uh, skiing sort of uh, cabins that you would um, what do they call them? The chairlift cabins. We had yeah, yeah. you know meeting rooms that Chalets, were yeah, yeah, like double-decker yeah. buses. All manner of different things. All of it is architecture designed to get you to pull your phone out of your pocket, take a photograph, and post a photograph. And what it does, it dr drops this gentle crumb that says it's really different to work here. It's really fun to work here. Um, yeah. but <laughs> exactly like you say, uh, you know the the various slides that I saw in my time working in tech firms. And, you know, all manner of spiral slides, uh, bumpy slides, all manner no. of them. No one used them apart from visitors to the building. Yeah. And it, but it was a great way to frame to visitors yeah. to the building. We're not like your standard job. We're a bit different here. You don't have to be mad to work here. Of course, yeah. you know, as, as the correspondent you talked about said, is these things really aren't worked. And, you know, if you do find yourself playing pinball at, or, or ping pong at three o'clock in the afternoon, um, it's observed, I think, by the people who see it. So, yeah. you know, I think we've got to demystify these things. And what I ended up believing was that anything that looks like this is staging. It's it's yeah. like um, the, the way that you might dress a stage, you know, for yeah. a party or an event. It's you're not really seeing culture there. You're seeing sort of marketing. Yeah, there's there's an old uh, potato trader that, that I know well who always stated to me, you, you need three three things in life. You spend so much time in a car, have a comfortable car. You spend so much time in a bed, have a comfortable bed. You spend so much time in the office, have a, have a nice office. And hence why he had an office on the 32nd floor Canary Wharf with uh, with great views. And, and Bruce Mark, that was a potato trader. Um, right. <laughs> but, uh, but they managed to get uh, good, good rates um, after the, the, the last recession. But that theatre of... Um, of, of work, I suppose it, it, it does serve a purpose as you sort of intimate because it, it catches the eye and it's such a competitive world at the moment trying to uh, bring bring people in. But if, if you're going to um, if we're going to present you with our, our, our magic uh, magic wand, Bruce, what would uh, what would your thoughts be to the to the farming community that a farm is a farm? You could say, Mark, couldn't you? But but uh, the culture within each farm is always going to be different. Is, is there any any um, sort of ma magic dust that you could give us, Bruce, as to how a business could de develop that that culture and that culture for the long term. Yeah, I mean, look, you know, I think most critically thinking about the the components of good workplace culture are an important consideration. So actually, if you think about um, what makes for a good job and generally the things that make for a good job, people feel that they've got a voice in that business. They feel like these these a degree of affiliation, connection with the people they work with. So voice, affiliation, space, they don't feel overwhelmed by the demands upon them and that these things are discussed. So, you know, the most important thing I would say that if you if you want people to come and work for you and, and feel a strong sense of connection, making making their feel like there's a connection between the team is probably the preeminent yeah. job. Now, you might have people who are loners or you might have people who are more introverted working for you who don't want too much, you know, fuss, but trying to find a way. And it might be just, you know a team lunch or a team dinner yeah. or a gathering that's filled with laughter now and again. And we've often witnessed these things, but 
the connection that we forge between other people often is formed in really gentle ways. So, you know, I used to work in one organization that was obsessed with internal awards. We'd always have at the end of every year, little internal awards for all manner of things, quite competitive, fairly tribal, sort of pitting different teams against each other. But it was a really gentle signal of togetherness, of connection, of sort of, uh, you know, the prioritizing fun and laughter was a really important component. So those things, I think, played a, a big part in, in trying to create a culture that felt more than people could get somewhere else. And look, you know, the thing that's in our head all of the time is that anyone we employ, unless they're a member of our family, uh, anyone we employ is part of a jobs market, whether we recognize it or not. And so it's down to us to try to um, be appealing to them and to to make them feel that maybe the job that we're offering or the job we're trying to attract them to gives them something that they might struggle to get elsewhere. So yeah. I think, you know, it's really critical for us at the moment because understanding a very competitive job market, it's really important for us to try and understand what would be the reasons we, we bring people in. And I think the challenges of certainly the last few few months have been that um, just necessarily offering a wage hasn't necessarily yeah. attracted the, the right candidates all of the time. So yeah. we've realised that in the jobs market, it's, be, it's been a seller's market for the last 12 yeah. months, couple of years. Now, whether that continues to be the case or not, it's still, I think, the disciplines of thinking about the, the culture that you're creating are really critical. The, th the one thing I'll tell you is that if anyone does sort of venture into trying to read about these things, um, there's a wonderful American professor called Zainep Tan. She's a, um, wow. she's, uh, she's a professor of operations, actually. But she's done a lot of work looking specifically at retail jobs. Look, and, you know, we might consider that. that that's a re relevant comparison, you know, for, for some of the jobs we're offering. It's, um, it's manual. It's in person. You, you, you can't do it remotely. Um, so, you know, for some of our jobs and what she found was that um, offering them a good working culture, offering them good conditions actually ended up with the organization being more profitable. Yes. So, woman called Zainab Tan, fascinating because she did a whole load of research into it. And I think quite often we can see that the. Um, the architecture of trying to create good jobs might be like a first world problem. It's like, OK, yeah, yeah, I'll create good culture when I've staffed up, when I've got yeah. all the people here. And I think her discovery was that when people find a job that they think, well, I can develop in this or I, I feel enriched by this or actually I just feel fulfilled by this in a very gentle way. They tend to stay in it longer. They tend to uh, yeah. develop some some loyalty to it. So these things actually might feel like first world problems. Yeah. But if we're going to build sustainable businesses, they're actually quite critical to our success. T totally, Bruce. And it segues in, Mark, it segues in really, really well with um, um, a broadcast that we ran ooh, about a month ago for um, uh, Ag Leadership Week, uh, because there's a number of groups, including the, the AHDB, Bruce, that want to promote uh, development, personal development and training within the ag sector, because we're, we're lagging behind um, other sectors. And I think I, I said, Mark, in that broadcast, that there's a, there's a standard uh, Cranfield University uh, graph showing that the companies that put more training development um, into the into the team say see better turnover, better profitability, 
profitability and better staff um, re retention. But, but Mark, just to, to get your um, input, because we, we sort of have to educate Bruce as to the oddity of our, of our sectors, that with some of our farmers that, that you know and that I will know, uh, there's three generations within, within that business. You can have a, a grandfather, a father, and, and a son in his 20s come, come, coming through. And to change the culture, uh, to change things uh, that may have all, always been done in, in, in a certain way, to change them because they need to be changed to attract or and to retain um, colleagues, um, uh, uh, teams within, within a farm is, is pretty difficult. Mark, what, what would be your advice as to how, from what we're learning from Bruce, as to how we can keep that culture or change that culture in a positive way on, on a farming perspective? I think those points that you made, Max, and it's really, really difficult with that generational piece where you've got generational habits. Um, breaking those and making change to those is, is, is massively difficult. But I suppose the... I'm no, no expert and no person to provide any guidance or advice, but it's, it's, I suppose it's, it's not eating the, whole, the cake in one bite. It's trying to focus on small steps and, and, and making change very, very slow. Well, not slowly, but just in, in, in little manageable chunks. Um, yeah. And Bruce, Bruce, just to give you a, a, a real oddity, um, uh, milkers. Um, uh, Mark is a, is, a, is a fantastic dairyman of, of old and, and still keeps his hand, hand in milking one of the, the be best herds in, the, in, in England on, on a part-time basis when, he, when he's called upon. Um, we got involved with my recruitment hat on with a big uh, global producer of um, automatic robotic milkers. So at the moment, um, a man or lady has to go in and physically milk uh, cows with, with uh, automation, uh, but two or three times a day, uh, these automatic robotic milkers milk the cows uh, for you. And so they, this company thought that, well, they've got the solution. Um, they, they, everyone will be able to um, enjoy, enjoy farming, not actually have to do the physicality of milking the cows two, three times a day. When they went to uh, present this technology into Ireland, what they found was that most dairy farmers there uh, didn't want to adopt the technology um, because they like milking cows. Um, they, and, and one guy has been milking cows for 24 years without having a, having a day off. And, and they were saying, well, if you, if you actually stopped and use one of these robots, you might, you might meet a wife. <laughs> rather, rather, rather milking the cows, so there's a real cultural change. So, so uh, Bruce, would you would you agree with Mark that you can't come in overnight? It's a lot of the businesses that we're associated within within ag have been going for a number of years. So it's not like a new startup where you can uh, change and mold things very very quickly. So, do, do you think that would be the answer that if there's a younger generation coming through within within ag and they know they want to change, but they've got to change the, the team they've got, but they've also got to change the management slash the family. So is it bite-sized chunks, but little bite-sized bits that you, you go out to try and change that culture? What do yeah. you think, Bruce? I mean, look, it's, it's fascinating. Our relationship with change is fascinating because one of the things that we do know, for example, is that technology has intruded into the way we work, whether we like it or not. And specifically, whether we like it or not, we all now have email on our phones, right? Or we all have some means of people contacting us in our pockets that we never had. So whether that's just a phone call or a WhatsApp or a, uh, an email, but we all have a means of someone getting in touch with us that we didn't have before. And when we look into the impact of that, it seems that in the last 15 years, the average working day has gone up by two hours a day because you know, casually, you might be out, uh, you might you might be out on a visit and all of a sudden now you can take a phone call, you can answer an email. And and as a consequence, you probably glance at those things a bit earlier in the morning than you did before. Um, so we, we know that technology has expanded the day. And I think probably it's a fair question that a lot of organisations have posed in the last couple of years. They've said, OK, we've 
we've created that adaptation. We've said, okay, we don't necessarily, um, we, we, we've sort of worked in a more flexible way. And I guess the question that has now developed is people have said, okay, well, now I've got that technology. Does it enable me to maybe work from somewhere that isn't my allocated desk in an office every day of the week? And you know, bring some flexibility in there. So I think there's a there's a, a quid pro quo. It's really interesting what you say about habits, though. Um, one of the debates, certainly in the wider world of of work, is about moving to a four day week. Now, specifically, this is that when you work with your mind and you sort of you're focusing on trying to uh, solve problems. What we're witnessing is that people are spending so much time connected to their devices that they feel spent. They're not coming up with the original ideas. They're not coming up with the the wow. um, the sort of the insight, the problem solving that maybe they should. And so there's a debate saying, could people be more productive if they worked intensely for four days rather than over five days? But there was um, there was one Australian bank that tried this out. And I, was, I was really fascinated to see their experience. This Australian bank tried it out. So very in intently, they said, we're going to measure the productivity of the team. If the productivity stays the same, we're going down to a four day week. Anyway, of the people who worked at the organisation, half of the um, organisation didn't tell their partners they'd gone down to a four-day week. <laughs> and so uh, you I can only sort of vividly imagine the scene that on a Friday morning, they would uh, grab their newspaper, they'd wave goodbye to her indoors, and they'd set off for another busy day at the office. Little did their partners know that they were off for having, off to have a big lunch, um, bit of golf in the morning, Me lunch time, in the afternoon. Yeah. They didn't tell their partners. So habits definitely define a big part of how we do our jobs. Excellent. And just go back to that book point that you mentioned earlier, but we're just we're just so busy. I, I mentioned this in a previous broadcast and a number of people contacted me on, on the back of it that, uh, again, I think it was from Cranfield, that the, the better businesses, the better business leaders are those that can spend 20 to 25 percent of their working time just thinking. Just, just, just thinking, coming up with solutions, looking um, at, at the, and that's a, an, an issue with the sectors that Mark and I are involved with because it's, uh, it's just so busy and so frenetic, and even more so with them um, with modern technology that no one has any time to actually stop and and think. Um, so to be able to have that that ability to stop and think and to come up with the. Uh, uh, solutions and uh, new strategies and, and, and way, ways to go is, is, is obviously a great way to go. And just on that side, Bruce, what, what would you, but for a leader who, who does want to create that change within the organisation, and I, I was talking about little baby um, bite-sized bite chunks to get the process going, what would you recommend the first thing they should be looking to do to create that cultural change within the, within the business? What's the, what's the first, first bit you would say would be worthwhile deploying? Normally, most of us feel like um, when we enter a new thing, so whether it's we enter a sports team or we enter, uh, a, you know, a, a club or association, we want to feel like our voice is heard. And quite often, you know, we, we encounter this, you know, we encountered it in school project teams, or whatever. If you speak up and you feel that your voice isn't listened to, uh, then there's a learning experience from that. <laughs> and you you speak up, you might you might you know, in this situation, you might say to the person who's your manager or to the, 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 uh, the person who sort of runs the organisation, uh, you might say, you know what, we've been doing something this way and I think there's a better way of doing it. And if the first time you speak up and say that, you'll shout it down. Generally, that's a learning experience and you don't do it again. And so an, an interesting lesson for us might be, OK, how do we enable people to have a voice 
in this organization? How do we enable, you know, often there's no one better to understand how we could improve, you know, our billing process and the people who do billing. There's no one better to understand how we could do uh, some aspects of, you know, our product delivery than the people who are responsible for it. And, and demonstrating to them that their voice and their input matters is one of the best ways to increase their engagement. Now, look, you know, an extension of that might be you actually give them some incentive to do it. But you, what you find is the incentive is, is actually less important than the contribution. We all want to feel like we can make a contribution and it will be noticed. And, you know, sometimes we make the mistake of saying, let's incentivize it, put a target on it. No, no, no. First and foremost, if people feel like their voice is heard, then it's incredibly meaningful. So that's why I would say, really, think about, you know, how could I hear some of the quieter voices in the organization? What would, if I was going to listen to some of the voices I don't listen to, number one, why am I not listening to them right now? And, you know, there might be a reason in our heads where we think, oh, what do they know about it? They've shown no initiative. Okay, well, is there a way to try and develop, nurture an early sense of initiative? But, you know, giving people a voice in an organization is a really critical part of making them feel invested in it. There's an organization called Gallup who uh, for, for years and years did opinion polls, but now really focus on workplace research. And they publish some astonishing data. So they published uh, just last week, they published their latest cut of data on workplace engagement. They say 8%, 8, 8, the single digit 8, 8% 8 of British workers are engaged in our jobs. Now, what do they mean by this? They mean like are, are actively uh, energized, connected. Yeah. I've got a desire to make our business succeed. There's about three times more members of the workforce who are actively disengaged in their jobs than are engaged in. So anytime you see like a public transport going past or a queue of people driving to work, there's three times as many people in that queue of traffic uh, who are going to work to bring about the downfall of their organization. Three times as many of them than there are people. Now, really interesting. If you ask, okay, Gallup, who do this work, okay, what could we do to make people feel well more engaged in their job? Give them a sense of voice. Make them feel like their contribution matters. Make them feel like their workload is something that they can handle. These are really gentle things. But yeah. I think so often we're presented with workers who um, either through circumstance or through the way that we've engineered it, don't feel connected by our jobs. And, you know, I'm convinced that's not the natural order of things. People want to do a good job. People have, yeah. you know, if you go into a supermarket, the people in there are not heading to work that day intent on bringing misery to everyone who encounters them. But we need to engineer the work so that they feel connected to it, actually proud of doing it. Um, you know, innately, I think we, we do get a, a this, this sort of a, a nice reciprocated benefit of, of feeling like we've do, done a good job for someone. We just try and need to nurture that a little. And, and just talking of nurturing, I've got to give you my best story of that because I, I love what you say about um, give, giving that, uh, that, that voice. There's a, a company not a million miles away from where I am in, uh, in Suffolk. And um, when it was about 10 years ago, uh, they, they deliver a lot of uh, food service so, uh, of, of products. Um, so about 10 years ago, there was the, the new law that came in that when you uh, reverse a, a truck, it's got the beep, 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 beep on it. And the old guard um, didn't want these beep, beep, beeps because they, they just thought that was immoral. Well, they, they, they're such fantastic drivers. Why do we need the beep, beep, beeps? 
and the boss was told that the drivers didn't want these beep beep beeps and the boss said well sack them all and uh, the the driver said well we're going to leave and then there was um, a lovely receptionist came up with a great idea turned out that the lead protagonist of these uh, lorry drivers was big into shaking stevens and it turned out that the sound of the beep 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 fitted in with the shaking stevens truck she started to film these guys uh, dancing to the beep 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 video went viral locally and uh, all the new drivers that came in the old guard were then showing the new, the new guard how to dance to the beep beep beeps and it was all sorted everyone was happy so talk about <laughs> talk, talk about positive ma manipulation but yeah it's just just trying to get people out of that that rut and again mark you and i know enough um oh, i was gonna say war weary but what really hardened uh farm, farm workers who've always said it's always been done this way this way why do i need this new technology on this tractor why do i need this new technology in in the milking parlor but but mark do you think just giving them that that voice giving them that opportunity to to, to announce actually we should be using this we should be adopting it rather than forcing it on them do, do mark do you think that's a good way to go yeah, no, definitely think that's a good way to go and give, just providing that bit of voice, which traditionally wouldn't have been done within an organisation. And we, we could be talking about businesses, like you say, that are family operations, that's mother, father, son and daughter, and then one full time equivalent that they employ that they would have never thought about asking Fred or Sarah that's been there for 50 years about their opinions and, and where they can go. So, yeah, definitely uh, something that we need to try and push ourselves out of our comfort zone and do. And, and so Bruce, you were mentioning with the businesses that you've been in, that uh, you've, you've seen the slides and, and presumably you've also been um, inflicted with the Outlook calendar meetings or the Teams meetings. And there's some businesses that we know, if you just want to have a career having meetings, uh, that, that's all, all that business um, does. It, what, what's your thoughts? What's your recommendations, Bruce, as to how we, we can, I've heard people talk about the likes of the golden thread that everyone knows that the, the end goal here is to have a fantastic harvest or if it's, um, if it's a new, new business, say, say making cider or gin, that the end goal is to sell out four years down, down the line and everyone's going to benefit. And everything that we talk about has got to be on this golden thread going to that, that end, end goal, which is a bit jingoistic, but it's quite, quite good because at meetings they say, is this on the golden thread? Do we need to go to that, that show? Do we need to the, this piece of equipment? Uh, Bruce, have you got any, any tips as to, oh, such a big question, um, for, for businesses, whether they be second, third generation farms or new startups within our sectors as to, as to their direction of travel, to keep them going in that direction of travel, to keep everyone on the, on the journey and not to lose them. What, what would your advice be on that, please, Bruce? Yeah, I think, you know, it's, um, the, the, look, I, I think you, you express there the, uh, the real benefit when these things work well. And of course, you know, all of us Brits by our very nature have got a certain uh, layer of cynicism. And so when we witness something and we think it's performative or we don't think it's real, we get a bit um, cautious about it. It's like, uh, do I need to buy into this just to look like I buy into it? Or do I buy into this? Because actually these, there's a sense that we're all contributing to this. So, you know, it's, it's back to what I said before. If, if you feel like you've got a, um, if your opinion's valued, if when it comes to like, you know, with, with, with regard to your um, angles, sort of the golden thread, if it's like, okay, every time everyone in the team makes a suggestion, a contribution, actually it's taken on board and we're getting better. And if we look at how we do things versus how we did things last year, these 20 changes that the team have initiated that have made us better. Now, all of these things, I think, um, do work in service to us thinking, 
yeah, yeah, we're all part of something here. We're all, you know, great cultures have a sense that we're all in it together. And there's really interesting evidence on that. You know, if you look into organizations, uh, some work that I saw done in uh, like a, a variety of different sectors that included farm workers, but retail workers, the hospital workers. And uh, they, they asked people, when you think about your team, do you talk about um, us or do you talk about them? When you think about your manager, do you regard them as a, as a good example of the sort of person who works here or do you regard them as very different? Now, when people answer those questions with a sense that an inclusive sense of, yeah, we're all in this together, all we, uh, their stress levels are, are lower, their levels of engagement in their job are higher. And that's like an interesting focus. So, you know, there might well be times where you've talked about generational shifts or the, there might well be times where, you know, maybe these different categories of workers, these people who are, um, you know, office workers, these people who are uh, out in the, the fields or are doing sort of far more manual related jobs. If we can try to create a sense that we're all in this together, and there might be different tribes within that, but we can try and create a sense that actually, you know, we've all got the same objectives in mind, that it tends to be in service of us feeling like we've created something bigger. And now that might be that you, you recognize we're gonna have three or four different cultures here. The people who work in the office are gonna have a different culture, almost intentionally than the people who work and do far more manual work. But we want each of those different cultures, each of those different tribes to feel connected to each other. Those things generally don't happen by accident. So, you know, if you chatted to some of those workers and you said to them, um, in a year's time, our team culture will be better. What three things will we have done to have made, oh, well done. made it better? So you're sort of in, inviting it. them to do a bit of imaginative thinking. If the culture here was going to be better in a year's time, what would we have done? Almost without exception, they'll tell you. They'll tell you two or three things. So people are not... Um, People are not having these sort of denying these thoughts to themselves. They know that, oh, you know, if there was if our manager was a bit more like this, if you know the people we work with were a bit more like this, if there was, you know, if people listened to what we suggested, uh, they they know the suggestions. And so it's just getting yourself into the rhythm of saying, okay, I'm going to ask them what would we need to do to make it better. And you know, I'm going to action some of those things. So if they tell me it's a clearer way to uh, you know, one of the things people who do jobs like that is like a, a clearer way to swap a shift with someone. Right. It, it might feel, you know, it might feel completely irrelevant to us. But these days, if they can swap a shift on an app, if they can get their phone out and swap a shift. Yeah. It's a huge game changer for the people who do jobs where yeah. they're expected to be in a certain place at a certain time. So these things might not feel big to us. But in terms of the mechanics of building a good job for those people, they can be game changing. So then it's like, OK, right. I hadn't thought about that. What can I do now to build in something that enables them to change the shift on a Sunday night at a tap of their phone? You know, really simple stuff that exists out there, but that um, would be in service of trying to make them feel like they're, they're part of something that feels different to what they were part of before.
Excellent, Bruce. Well, well done. I've just had a question and from, from a from a mate from a contact on on, on WhatsApp. Uh, are there a couple of uh, companies that Bruce would recommend that have got great and genuine genuine cultures that we can follow? Uh, this individual he, he works on the basis of uh, plagiarization that he sees people who've who've done it, done the half miles, and, and looks to adapt uh, what they've done into his business. So, that, are there a couple of businesses that that you think are, have have genu genuinely got that magic dust within um, within the business culturally? Yeah, there are. Um, the the woman I recommended before, Zainab Tan, she's yeah. done a whole book on this, which is like you know, well which is retail store cultures. I think there's like a there's an applicability to that because in retail stores you've got the office workers, you've got the people on the you know taking deliveries, stacking shelves, you've got like you know these are sort of a, a range of different jobs, and uh, and she goes through them line by line. You know, she goes through one company called Quick Trip. So her book, I think it's about cost you about nine pounds. It's called Good Job Strategy. Brilliant, truly okay, brilliant book. Because she goes through and she says, actually, these, these probably four decisions that organizations make that, that determine what the experience of a job is like. Some of these things like, you know, in a retail store, in a supermarket, it's a bit like if someone asks you, um, uh, where is the pasta? Do you, do you, does your server point pastas down there on the left or do they walk you there? Yeah. They, you don't think that's a decision that they make. They, there's a decision that some stores point and some stores walk you. Or some stores have a big range, some stores have a small range. These things we don't think about, but they have a big impact on what the experience of the job is like. Really interesting, fascinating, sort of deconstructing the job to these critical parts. But you talked about one organization called Quick Trip, and Quick Trip, really interestingly, pay way ahead of the market. They pay 50% more than the, uh, the, the industry average for, for retail workers, for supermarket workers. So, you know, really lumpy, but the reason why they do that is because uh, their workers are incredibly loyal. They stay there longer. They, they, this sort of a, a team uh, connection. So they, they get far more out of them for that extra money. Really fascinating. But the, exactly. uh, one of the things I mentioned before, there's a quotation in her book where she talks about um, the, the culture there and the, the uh, vice president of operations there, American business. Vice President of Operations there says the reason why people stay at Quick Trip isn't the money, it's because they know their manager will do any job that they are asked to do. Oh, yeah, well and done. There's something about that. We're all in this together. And so, you know, some of this is the managers will clean the toilets, right? Yeah. They've never worked in somewhere where the manager would clean yeah. the toilets. But because of that, it creates this sense that we're all in this together. It's not just like us and them. We're trying to build something. Now, whether that's exactly right for all of us and for all the things we're trying to do, but as a thought experiment, it's really fascinating. It's like, okay, yeah, I can kind of see that, you know. Yeah. So we're it's like, so, you know, you might have one extreme, an organization who's cosmetically talking about the go golden thread. It's like, you know, everyone does it. Does it make the boat go faster? Does, yeah, does this well decision improve? And then in parallel, you've got an organization that just through two or three behaviors, two or three actions, people think, oh, no, no, no. The reason why I work here is because, you know, when Sid didn't turn up for his shift, the manager went out and did the shift. Like, yep. And it's sort of, in terms of creating something oh. that feels special, it's transformational. So that book, Zaynep Tons, The Good Job Strategy, eight pounds or something, nine pounds on Amazon, fascinating read. And you, you'll get through it. It's a fascinating read. Thinking about the little things that we can all do to make our business slightly more effective. There's a, there's a large food, food company that I won't name, but one of their units um, employed about 200 people had a huge staff retention problem. 
and the overall CEO went to that site to see what the issue was. And he called all of the workers to come upstairs to the boardroom and the workers wouldn't go upstairs. And uh, he, he asked them, well, why won't you go upstairs? Because we're not allowed upstairs. Right. Some of us have been here 10 years and we're not allowed to go upstairs. And he said, sod that, you're all coming upstairs. And he found out that there was this, this um, uh, ivory tower scenario. And you can imagine the movement that then happened at, uh, at that, that senior level. And uh, Bruce, I, I love that about, the, about the, the, the likes of the worker, just showing yeah. everyone else that they, the, the manager will, will happily do any, any role within there. And just segueing into that, not, not another uh, question in on, on WhatsApp. Um, as, as Bruce is probably picking up, we've got a real issue in holding on to staff and also attracting uh, staff. We run a large farming and contracting business. We don't have a website. Do you think, uh, does Bruce think that we need a website to attract and retain uh, people to come and work for us, Bruce? Um, so look, you know, I think increasingly we, we are inclined that when you hear about an organisation, you'll think... Um, okay, I want to check them out. I want to look at what the experience is like. So, you know, largely businesses from pubs to pet stores to, um, to you know, painters, people have a website now. Look, it can, it'll cost you. I built a website for my new book. I, I got someone to do it for me. Probably all in cost me 500 quid. So, you know, th these I things aren't huge investments, um, but probably far more is thinking about, what the job experience looks like. And, you know, when it comes to attracting and retaining staff, you know, the question has to be, firstly, how are you looking at this? The, the, reason, the real reason why that good job strategy book is so fascinating is that quite often we can find ourselves, and retail, again, is a good comparison. Retail, we hear about zero-hours contracts. We hear about, you know, organisations where... It's such a, a buyer's market for labor that they, they just pay the minimum wage and you know they, they, they can know that they can get staff all the time. And what uh, Zenit Tan discovered was that organizations who say, no, no, we're gonna pay more, but we're gonna make the job feel like it's a place you can develop, you can, you can build a career, you can build a life here, you can stay here for a long time. They paid more, but they got the benefit for doing that. So what Zenep Tom found is that these organizations were more profitable, they were more sustainably high growing. And, and I think it's like a, a conscious decision. It's like, okay, rather than I just want to bring people in and what's the rate I need to pay right now? How can you build careers for people? When, you know, when I really interestingly, um, I used to, uh, you mentioned at the outset, I worked in fast food a lot. And the really interesting thing there was that there was a lot of people in fast food in comparison, and I'm going to compare it side by side with, uh, with like warehouse workers for Amazon or whatever. So you work for an Amazon uh, warehouse job. It's, there's no career, no development. You can never go from the shop floor to the management, never. You, you know, you, you can't do that. It's, it's not in the setup. When you work in fast food, it's, um, it's incredibly uh, open. It's incredibly okay. democratic. It's sort of meritocratic in the sense that frequently you work with people in McDonald's stores or in Burger King stores who've maybe left school with no qualifications, but have got just an incredible work ethic. You know, I work with people in Burger King who were working 80 hours a week. Then they became managers there. Then they became regional managers there. And, you know, it gave people who maybe had been left a little bit to hung out to dry by the education system. It gave these people an opportunity to thrive and to yeah. succeed. It was extraordinary to watch. You know, I was like, I was there sort of, uh, you know, working far more like a lot of the people who are sort of part of my education, funding my education. 
But the, uh, these people just show you an incredible desire to succeed. And what you get from it is that, okay, they felt like they had a stake in this. They felt like they were part of a system where if they worked really hard, they could get on, they could develop, they could, you know, maybe aspire to buy a car, buy a flat. And so, you know, I think it's a really critical component. Are we creating a job where we just want to pay minimum wage and bring staff in and dash, you know, we're, we're losing people all the time? Or are we creating careers for people? And that might mean we've got to give a little bit of ourselves a bit more. Yeah. We've got to think about, you know, the, the architecture of the job of what the career would look like. But based on Zainab Tong's work, that ultimately turns out to be more profitable. Mark, that's fantastic, isn't it? I, I asked Bruce as to whether my contact should have a uh, a website, and, and we, we just had a complete fantastic professional <laughs> seminar on, on how to change the culture within, you. within your business. But but it's but it's so important, isn't it? Yeah, have the website, but have everything else um, alongside yeah, right. it, and 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 promise and don't be jingoistic that people coming into your farming business or your supply business, um, that there will be a career here for you. We'll give you everything you need, but that's we right. want you to work hard. But there will be a career for you. Mark, Mark do you think? Do you agree? Yeah, no, I hugely agree. And it's those really interesting points. And I haven't really thought about the McDonald's and the, the Burger King model in terms of the day you start as the Saturday boy or girl that actually gaining stars and credits is to try and get you to that management position with the managing the store. And that's, I think, something that the industry needs to think about. And rather than employing someone to come in and plough the field or, or to manage the cows, um, to actually think about how the the role and the career within within that farm can be expanded um so that they're not just doing that role that they can actually grow yeah. and develop and then there's a lot of uh, people which if you think about training and developing and this kind of stuff go what well, yeah but then they leave i've invested x number of thousands of pounds in that person and then they then they leave but that is that really a bad thing no, developing no. someone to push forward um, within their career should be deemed as a positive and should be deemed as a success within that business um, to then create you as the the employer of choice kind of thing because yeah. you're enabling that development rather than just paying someone to plow the field or milk the cows yeah and what's the expression mark Bruce, we will come back to you in a minute. We haven't forgot about you. Um, it's, uh, it, it's like train the trainer, isn't it? That's yeah. uh, You can bring that new individual in and they're then looking after the, the, the younger generation or the casual, casual staff. They'll then get that, that management experience. Because, Bruce, that, that's the whole issue about this, isn't it? That you can't go off and do a degree, an MBA, in, in creating that, that, this, this positive uh, culture within, within a business. In some ways, you've either got to learn on the job or, Bruce, learn, learn from the likes of you. Yeah, I mean, look, you know, it's, it's, look, it's a really interesting thing because just as uh, as Mark was talking about there, you're obviously going to have some potential employees who the idea of them their job becoming complicated or developing or, you know, suddenly they're, they're running a little profit centre. That's not what they want. You know, like it, the, the job for them is freedom, the, the great outdoors. It's like not having to be constantly tied to an inbox. So there's a bit of job design, which is, is going to appeal to some people and, and not to others. On the flip side, you're going to have people who, if they feel like they're getting better, if they feel like they're developing and improving, it's going to be a huge motivator for them. So, you know, like they're doing this training and the training has given them access to maybe earning a bit more money and a bit more responsibility and they're developing. And so, you know, if you asked someone about how they felt the job was going, they'd say, uh, yeah, 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 I'm, I'm loving working here. I'm improving and we've just hired someone to do my old job. Yeah. Excellent. So uh, I think, look, 
there's going to be different needs for different situations. But I think, you know, thinking probably the end point is we're frustrated that we keep losing people. Why are we losing people? You know, do we need a website? What, what are we doing wrong? And I, I guess the critical thing is probably thinking, right, okay, if I wanted people to feel that this is a good place to build a career, but a, a good place to spend 10 years of their life rather than one summer of their life, how would I set about doing that? And, you know, sort yeah. of posing those questions to ourselves, really. I, lo- I love that. Love that thinking. Guys, I started to run out of time. Um, Bruce, tell us about Fortitude. Tell us about your new book, Fortitude, please. Yeah, so I've, I've written a, a book which is about how resilience is a toxic myth. Resilience is this sort of strange thing that we hear um, all the time. I was listening to the radio two days running last week and two interviews in a row, both days, both talked about resilience. Oh, we need to be more resilient. Time for people to be more resilient. You hear it everywhere. And it's like really fascinating when you deconstruct what is being asked in those situations. Quite often, we want people to be resilient, who meaning we just want them to go off and deal with whatever problem that has befallen them. Um, and it's a really strange thing. So, you know, we, what we've seen is that schools now, if anyone listening to this has got kids, I am certain their school offers a resilience training course to them. Um, or, you know, organisations, big companies who are suffering massive amounts of burnout uh, in their employees, they are, uh, there's a, a sort of a boom market for resilience training courses. And the interesting thing about them is that if you chat to people who go on those courses, they say, they whisper it and they say, um, I don't feel any different to how I did before. I, I, uh, you know, and worse, Stop my reason. manager told me when I was reporting feeling burnt out, my manager was saying, you need to go on a resilience course. Now I've been on the resilience course. It's a bit like, am I broken? Am I like, <laughs> are they going to get rid of me? I am. Am I sort of the, the toy in toy story who's about to be discarded out? Oh, into the, God, Bruce. Into the oh, no. What you find is this. The interesting thing is this. Immerse myself immersed myself sort of writing the the book for the last couple of years hold hold, hold it up bruce hold it up bruce hold it up thank you fortitude Um, unlocking the secrets of inner strength go on keep going bruce and here's this here's the amazing thing is that you know so for all me pouring scorn on all of these sort of versions of resilience that we're that we're we've maybe tried and we've we found that courses don't seem to access despite all of that let's be fundamentally true does, do we see examples of resilience around us? Well, look at people in Ukraine right now. Oh, my God. It's oh. like the most awe-inspiring resilience to, to the extent that we feel fearful. If someone said to you, you've got to you know, send the, the, the women and kids away, and now you've got to go and take up arms. The, 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 sort of the inner coward in us thinks, I'm not sure I could do that. That's like, you know, but, but what you find is that resilience is a clue really vividly in that. Resilience is a collective strength. Yeah. You know, the, the times you see resilience is that when people feel supported and reflected in the people around them, they feel like, yeah, we're going to do this. And, you know, we see this really vividly in the aftermath of natural disasters, where you'd expect people to be sort of forlornly crying in the streets. And yet people sort of gathered and organized in this really inspiring way or like in that war in Ukraine. Resilience is a collective response to adversity. Now, as soon as you know that, then you think, yeah, well, maybe that explains why kids have been feeling a bit less resilient because they've been stuck at home doing home learning for a few months or they haven't connected with their friends in the same way. Or you've got um, employees for some organisations say, yeah, 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 of course they're feeling resilient. They're sitting in, you know, at their kitchen table doing Zoom calls all day. They feel 
like they haven't laughed with someone, they haven't been yeah. seen any sort of interaction with them. Resilience is a collective strength, not an individual strength. And once you recognize that, you start seeing all of these examples of, oh, that's now it's so self-evident. You know, it's, it's why sort of um, football fans sort of singing together have just got this sort of yeah. this emboldened affinity connection with each other. Or you sort of witness why religions around the world have always gathered people yeah. and always got, got them to sing together because they feel strengthened by that. And as soon as you see it, it's like, wow, well, why don't we teach that? Why is that not the thing that's taught to kids in school? Why is that not the thing that taught to to workers in organisations? So anyway, that's what I've done. That's what I've written. Um, I, I spent sort of the last uh, six months since it's been written, sort of getting it in the hands of, of people I really respect. And I've got some wonderful endorsements on it. So, uh, yeah, it's uh, available for pre-order now. <laughs> oh, and where can we get it? The, the normal places? Yeah, Stones, yeah. I mean, you know, Amazon. if you want to support your local bookshop, then you can oh, order it well there. But, you know, available in, in all places. Support your local bookshop if you get a chance. Again, Mark, I, just segueing, I'm just thinking of um, um, Bruce. We've, we've got our, our UK harvest coming up and it's a, a frenetic time um, and everyone wants to be careful doing it. But there's a lot of overtime, um, some um, jeopardy in, in the respects of the weather. Mark, I don't think I've ever been involved with a, with a business that actually sits down with everyone and says, right, this, this is harvest coming up. We've all got to be um, here together. We're going to have strengths and negatives. There's going to be ups and downs but we're all going to be here for, for each other mark do you think that would work within uk agriculture if it's presented right or, or would that come across a bit a bit jingoistic i'm, I'm just thinking of, of looking to create that cultural change with some of these businesses that we often talk about i absolutely think it would work and it's just that whole mindset piece of flipping something that yes you need to harvest the corn when the sun's shining and you need to potentially do 150 hours a week which is the reality of the uk harvest but flipping it, gathering the team of individuals together or the contractor, whoever you're using and saying kind of, we're in this together. If Sarah doesn't feel too great that day and needs a bit of time yeah. off, then we'll work around it and cover yeah. each other. I think it's yeah. definitely, it's that whole mindset piece of, of, of looking at it from the, the other side of the spectrum. I did, I did a season hop picking in uh, Kent in my youth. And uh, it's really interesting, sort of, you know, it's a fairly small season. It was probably six weeks or something, I think. But um, it's really interesting that, you know, there was this mystical um, discussion. I don't think it was a vintage year for the crop that year, but there was a, mint, uh, a discussion amongst like a few of the, the, um, the regulars there who said, oh, yeah, you know, last two years we've had a bonus. We've had a hop bonus. And so, like, it became this mythical thing. What's how do we access the bonus? Do we work <laughs> yeah. harder? Do we yeah. do we access the bonus? And we never got the bonus in the end. But no one had ever told us what we needed to do to get the bonus. Yeah. And like, so we were sort of, do we need to load the threshing machine quicker? What what do you want me to do? Do you want yeah. me to like? There was some Polish workers alongside us, and they were like, don't do it quicker. Don't do it quicker. <laughs> do it this way. We've seen this before. Don't do it quicker. We'll get another two or three days work if you don't do yeah, it quicker. Yeah. We were sort of loading eight vines onto the threshing machine each time. They were loading one or two. two. If someone had said to us, I'll tell you what, like, here's the plan. Here's how you can do it. Here's the reward you're going to get. Actually, there's a bit of food and drink laid on for you. Like, if there'd just been some effort... I, th I think we'd have felt more connected. As it was, it was sort of it was a very pronounced us and them environment. You know, someone would spin round on his quad bike and and shout some instructions at us twice a day. Yeah. And uh, and you know, as a as a result, it definitely could have something of a bit more in it together could have been orchestrated. I'm sure. Yeah. 
Guys, my, my uh, contact who was asking about the web, <laughs> the website, he says, I'm really embarrassed to have asked about the website now. I've got to change the culture within my within my business. Bruce is fantastic. I've pre-ordered Fortitude and I'm also looking out to buy a quick job strategy. Thank you very much to Bruce and Mark. So there you go. Yeah. <laughs> Mark, Mark, would you like to wrap up for us, please? Yeah, no, thank you, Max. And Bruce, thank you. What a pleasure. And what we've gone from um, new ways of working to culture. Um, into managing and attracting staff into 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 the industry and hopefully we can segue a few a few um, of your your insights but I suppose the last closing point of what would you what would be a couple of nuggets that you would share with UK farmers to try uh, and, and push ourselves forward in in, in in a couple of those areas Bruce yeah, what do you, you know probably just taking a moment to empathize with what the lived experience of some of our workers are it's very easy for us sometimes to be frustrated with the, you know, our team, our office team might be demanding to work from home or, and, uh, or our team out in the field might be showing sort of less initiative than we want. And I guess the question that we might ask is, do, you, do we think these, they could work somewhere else and surprise us with what they achieved? You know, like, you know, sometimes you see someone who leaves and they, you're like, Five years on, you're like, I can't believe that guy's doing that. Like, they've blown you away. And I, I used to ask myself all the time, you know, if 100 people were doing my job, who would be like the top one or two? Who would achieve those results that you're like, I can't believe with that they've achieved that. And it sort of, it forces you to think, what are the little casual decisions I'm making along the way that may be sort of holding people back? You know, are there things that I could and look we shouldn't expect to do a lot of things are there one or two little things that maybe would enable people to feel like they have got a bit more of a say in things or you know if i if i was to say that simple exercise in a year's time the culture here will be better what would we have done to do that and just listen to the answers now it might be you get 50 answers and you're like i don't want to do any of those things and that is by you know that that's your prerogative no one's forcing you but you might be like Actually, if I did three of these things, it might be like where the parking is. It might be something so trivial. Um, but if I did three of these things, that's interesting. Let's see what happens if I do three of those things. Because then might, people might think, oh, it's like things are changing a bit. Things are getting a bit better around here. So that's what I would say. Incrementalism, don't necessarily feel like you've got to bring a revolution straight away. But making little incremental changes might help. Wow. Brilliant. We, we, everyone, everyone, when we did the, the, the brief uh, on, on this broadcast with uh, Bruce uh, uh, 10 days ago, two weeks ago, we said we wanted we want everyone to learn five things from you, Bruce. <laughs> I think I think we've exceeded that somewhat, Mark, haven't yeah. we? I think we're well over, over a dozen. Absolutely, so, most definitely. So, Mark, Bruce, thank you. That, that was an you, absolute uh, stormer. Um, and just to say again, because we, we, Mark and I haven't uh, promoted a book, go out and get Fortitude. Uh, by Bruce Daisy. Uh, Bruce, you've been, been fantastic. I suspect we're going to see you again because uh, what we tend to find is that uh, people like, like yourself get picked up within, within our circuit, within our, our community, because we I just need that. that fresh thinking um, in, in to make that, that difference. And, and what's great is that you've, you've managed to narrate it, present everything in, in, a, in a really, not, not simplified, uh, but, but a, a very practical manner that, that I think we can all uh, take from and add to to make our businesses better mark over to you to wrap up no brilliant and, and again bruce thank you very much again i don't think you're going to be a shy face to the world of uk agriculture as we move forward we're in that massive change change element and, and all these kind of nuggets are definitely going to be applied 
Um, yeah, no, thank you very much. Um, buy the book. I've pre-ordered my copy already, um, which is grand. And thank you, everyone. Have a and good I, day. I, 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 I'm sorry, Mark. I've just had a WhatsApp in. There's a contact of mine who runs a, a hot farm in Kent. What, what are you doing this summer, Bruce? <laughs> <laughs> Listen, you know, people get in touch with me. Um, I'm, I'm always willing, especially if they're going to pre-order some books, I'm always willing to chat. So get in touch. You can, well, uh, well, if you go to findfortitude.net, you'll find a lot of the stuff there. I will, I will link you on the, on the various posts. Bruce, thank you. Mark, thank you. And we'll catch up at the next AHDB Talking Leaders hosted with us, uh, BSOC Global. Bruce, thank you, Mark. Thank you. Brilliant. Thank, thank you. you. Have a good day. Bye-bye.